together, and then we're going to be sharing uh, communion together. If you've never uh, been in a communion service here before, it's very, fairly relaxed, and you're all welcome to share in this simple meal. The only requirement is that you want to be part of Jesus. And if you want to be part of Jesus, he welcomes you. Obviously, if you don't want to be part of Jesus, you wouldn't want to share in this meal anyway. So the invitation is welcome, uh, given to all. Okay, we're going to read uh, from Romans. We've been looking at Romans over the past months. And uh, I won't read it to you yet because, uh, Hermie, could you pass my Bible? I've left it under the chair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have you ever heard the phrase, are we there yet? If you're, uh, certainly if you're parents, you've probably heard it many times. And um, it's uttered on many a journey, whether you're just going to the shops or whether you're going on holiday. And in our journey through Romans... I've kind of been asking myself, are we nearly there yet? Because I don't know about you, but I think I've been in chapter 7 for a few weeks, and uh, we still haven't got to the end of it. And I'm longing to get to chapter 8, because chapter 8 is where the really good stuff comes. Things like, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All things, God works for the good of those who love him. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But we're not there yet. I was tempted this week. I thought, I've had enough of Romans chapter 7. Let's skip straight to chapter 8. That would be great. And I read the first sort of commentary that I used just to help me think about these things. And uh, the first line of the commentary on the, the chapter that I was looking at is, Some preachers skip the passage at the end of chapter 7 and go straight on to chapter 8. I was condemned and both challenged. So you're stuck with me in chapter 7. And it's encouragingly titled in my Bible, Struggling with Sin. Which is great, isn't it? So let's read the passage. And um, as you look at the words or read it along in your own Bibles, um, try and understand it. Okay? We'll be asking the Holy Spirit's help. In a few minutes' time. Okay. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. 
and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Keeping up? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature I am a slave to the law of sin. It's all very clear, isn't it? I need a drip, drink of water as well. Sorry. I did, I did. Now, can you understand why I wanted to skip on to chapter 8, the good stuff? But we're going to have a go. So here we go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your words. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. And every word of scripture we believe is breathed by you, Lord. And it has a purpose. And by your Holy Spirit, you can speak through it and by your Holy Spirit not only can you speak through it but you can change things even our hearts and so we pray tonight that as we look at this passage and seek to understand what Paul was grappling with that we might have insight by your spirit that we too at the end might be able to say thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I've told this story um, uh, quite a few times, um, but it actually applies to this passage, so I'm going to tell it again. A few years ago now, I left home very early in the morning. It was about 7 o'clock, and I made my way in the car out of Camden on the Shipston Road. I was going to a prayer meeting. Very impressed, I can see. As I drove out of Camden, I can't remember what speed I was actually doing on the Shipston Road. But I do remember seeing in the uh, just distance a police car. 
and a policeman standing outside his police car with what looked to me like a gun. And when I got to him, it was a gun. It was a speed gun. He flagged me down. He got me out of the car and asked me some familiar questions if you've ever gone through this experience. Do you know the speed that you were doing? I said I didn't really notice. Do you know the speed limit on this road? I said even more faltering, I, I, I've forgotten. Do you know you were breaking the speed limit? I said, you're probably right, sir. I think I did call him sir, or something like that. Something groveling, anyway. And then he said something amazing to me. He said, I can give you a ticket, or I can let this one go. And I thought to myself, if that's the choice, I know which one I would choose. <laughs> I deserved the ticket because I was in the wrong. I had broken the law. That would have been justice. He let me off. That's mercy. And he said to me, if I give you a ticket, you will probably speed again on this road. If I don't give you a ticket, you will remember this every time you come down this road. And he's right. Because every time I go down that road, I remember. Has it changed? Yes, it has even changed the way I drive down that road. Now, how this applies to this passage is the law did not change my actions. I should know the speed limits around Chipping Camden. I've lived here nearly 18 years. I should know how fast I'm going in the particular car that I'm driving. And I probably have to confess I deliberately broke the law. The law did not change my actions, but mercy has. Now, whether he was just bored and didn't want the bother of giving me a ticket, and I don't know, but I'm quite grateful. Because I've never had one point on my license. I've had to pay a fine to the DVLA recently, but that was because I hadn't paid my car tax. But the car had been stolen at the time. I thought this was unjust. I said so in a letter. They didn't believe me and said I had broken the law because I hadn't told them. But that's just the issues I'm dealing with. You don't have to. Back to chapter 7 of Romans. This is a rhetorical question. Who here struggles with sin? Anyone? Well, if you do, you're in good company. Because the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. We are not the only ones. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks of a battle that goes on within his life. He talks in other places in the scriptures of a battle that goes on in the spiritual realm that we have an adversary who is against us, who wants us to stumble, who wants us to fall, who wants us laid low, who wants actually to destroy us. And that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But the battle that Paul is talking about here is civil war. 
This is a war that is raging within him. The Paul in Christ, as he calls, and the Paul in Adam, as he describes it. Or another way of putting it, Paul under the old law and Paul under Christ. Paul under the old operating system, the old self, or Paul under the new operating system, the new self in Christ. Because he knows that in Jesus, he has been given a new heart. He knows that in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Because you can't believe that Jesus is Lord without having the Holy Spirit. You can't say Jesus is Lord without having the Holy Spirit in your life. But he also recognizes that we are still in the flesh. In our human nature, which needs sanctification. That is the process in which God makes us more like Jesus. And we'll begin now and we'll continue until the day when we will meet with Jesus. And the Bible promises that if we know Jesus, we will be made like him. And we will see him as he is. But the battle is inevitable, but defeat is not inevitable. Now, previously in Romans, Paul has already spoken about how justification, which means getting saved, put right with God, our sins forgiven, and sanctification, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, have to go together. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live the way I want to live without any reference to what Jesus says to what the Bible says. I was asked in in prison, I'm doing Alpha and Long Latin, and one of the good questions was asked this week, well, if God is forgiving, I can ask for forgiveness, I can do what I want, I can ask for forgiveness, I can do what I want, I can ask for forgiveness, I can do what I want. I said it doesn't work like that, because if you ask Jesus into your life, you don't want to do the things that you used to do because you have a new heart. doesn't mean you will be perfect, Because that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the struggle within himself. And in a funny way, sin makes an ally with the law to condemn us. And that's the paradox that Paul talks about in this passage of the law. Because in the law, he says the law is a good thing, a holy thing. A just thing in itself, it is a splendid thing that God gave laws to his people. Boundaries to set his people apart from everybody else. But the law cannot save you, cannot transform you. The law cannot give you a new heart. All the law can do is define sin, identify it, point to it, reveal it. And in a strange way, Paul gives us the impression that actually the law encourages sin. I'll try and explain that. Now, there is defined by anthropologists. I knew I was going to get stuck on that. They're clever people, anthropologists. And they study study human behavior. Is that right? I'm looking to Edward because... And they describe a strange phenomenon called contra-suggestibility. You with me? I got this out of a book, you'll know. (laughs) The propensity of people to respond negatively to any directive. 
So if you say to someone, you shouldn't do that, there are some people who say, right, I'm going to do it. Just because you told me I shouldn't do it. Children have a habit of being like that. I know, because I once was a child, exactly like that. I remember as a... I'm giving you all my um, painful past. I remember as a young boy stealing. I stole all the time. I stole from my mother, which is very bad. Don't do it, by the way. And I was part of a gang that would go around and we would see who could steal the most from a shop in one visit. And it was just fun. But we knew it was wrong, but it was almost a challenge. I remember getting caught as well, which was very embarrassing, as they called my parents. But again, they let me off. What a blessed person I am. Contra-suggestibility. Uh, let's have another example. It's Christmas coming. If you've got young children, you say, there's lots of presents in the spare room, but you're not allowed to go in and look at them. What are they going to do? It's a recipe for disaster. Even works with Hermie, that one. <laughs> Paul says, the power of human will is not enough. It is not enough in your own strength to fight this battle. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be sanctified. And then we come to his famous phrase, which is the one that I stumbled over reading. And I'll just give you another extract of it because it's so good. What I want to do, I do not do. What I do not want to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do... For what I do is not the good I want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. That's brilliant from Paul, isn't it? And if you... I was talking to someone on our Alpha table. I can't remember. If you've ever heard Donald Rumsfeld's um, speech on the known knowns, it is brilliant. Just go Google it. It's fantastic. This was a man who was second in command of the United States of America... And he gives this speech, which is just completely bizarre. And some of the commentators think Paul has lost the plot at this point. But actually, when you just dig down a bit deeper, we all know what he means. We have all found ourselves, at some point or other, doing something that we know we shouldn't do, but we just do it. And the things that we wanted to do, we don't do. And Satan, as it were, finds an ally, not just in the law, but in the old self. Paul describes the old self, when you become a Christian, is crucified with Christ. But he says it keeps coming out of the grave, trying to claw back stuff in our lives. That's Satan trying to bring us down. We need to rely on God's grace, says Paul. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But not just in a passive way. I'll become a Christian. I'll wait for God to sanctify me. You've got to pursue it. You've got to want it. I'll wait for God to change my heart completely. Well, he may do, but 
If you want it, it happens much more quickly. If you want to be more like Jesus and ask him every day for his help and his guidance. So that's my understanding of this passage. That Paul just describes what we all know is that inner battle against sin in our lives. And we all identify with his next phrase when he said, what a wretched man I am. Yet I can guarantee you that Paul walks so closely with Jesus. I mean, he's probably been the most effective Christian follower of Jesus who has ever lived. Yet he struggled. Because the closer he got to Jesus, the more he was aware of his sin. The more he was aware how imperfect he was and how perfect Jesus was. And he says, what a wretched man I am. When we let Jesus down in a way, we feel wretched. Because it's not the person we want to be. We want to be like Jesus. Paul takes personal responsibility for sin, his sin. He doesn't say, well, it's because of this or because of my upbringing or because of that or the influences of that. He takes personal responsibility. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Jesus. Jesus will rescue him. Jesus will rescue you. Jesus will rescue me. He's our only hope. Jesus, our Savior, who died on the cross for our sins. Not only died on the cross for our sins, took our sins. Yours and mine, he took. Not just a blanket of sin of the whole world, but actually individually he took my sin, your sin. And he continues to do that. But he is the one who justifies us. And through the Holy Spirit, he is the one who sanctifies us. But we need to come in repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Not just, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Repentance isn't just a sorry. It's a changing of mind. It's a changing of heart. It's a changing of attitude. It's taking on a fight. I was talking with somebody this week who said they were just struggling with sin. And I was saying, you've got to fight this. You can't just say, well, I'm, I, that's the way I am. I said, you've got to fight it. Temptation is always a choice. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help in every situation, every circumstance. And walk by faith in Jesus. And it might be painful But God is doing a work. And if he wants to make you more like Jesus, imagine what he's got to do to make you more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the Narnia Chronicles, tried to explain what Paul is saying here in chapter 7 in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Love this name. The character is Eustace Scrub. And Eustace Scrub is punished for his sin, and he is punished by being turned into a grotesque dragon. And it's a symbol of his old, sin-scarred self. Yet he repents, and he wants to be different, and he says, I I want to be new. And he tries to tear the skin 
from his flesh. The grotesque skin of the dragon, he wants to tear it off and he tears at his body. But no amount of effort works. And he comes to Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the story. And he submits to Aslan and he says, I was afraid of his claws, but I was so desperate to be changed. I just lay down and let him change me. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought he'd gone right into my heart. Then he began pulling off my skin. And it hurt. But when he had finished, the old grotesque dragon was gone and he clothed me in a new skin. That's the picture. We could never do it on our own. Get rid of it. We could never do it. But submit to Jesus. Repent and believe in Jesus. And continue to repent and believe in Jesus. This is a long road, discipleship, following Jesus for the rest of your life. It's a big commitment, isn't it? But if we're prepared for that, and even allow Jesus to dig deep into us, to change us, even if it's painful, so that we would be more like him. So chapter 7 ends with thanksgiving. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because God is for us. Who will rescue us? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus who fulfilled the perfect law. He fulfilled it all. He's the only one ever to do it. That's why his sacrifice is so powerful. Because he gives his sinless life for my sinless life. For my sinful life. He pays for our sin. And he gives his Holy Spirit to complete that work in us. Are we there yet? No, not yet. But we're on the journey. And I think it'll be the new year when we get to chapter 8, but it's worth waiting for. Come back, come back in 2014 for chapter 8. It's going to be brilliant. Let's pray together.